Welcome to the FIFA Living Football Podcast. On today's show, we reveal the best FIFA fan award winner, a man who walks 11 hours to watch his team play at home. We also speak to one of futsal's greatest ever players. Kike. Oh, great work there. And a great goal too for Kike, who's only been on a matter of seconds. Fine goal by Spain. We head to the Solomon Islands to find out about their journey to the FIFA Futsal World Cup in Lithuania. We react to the 71st FIFA Congress and we learn about reforms to football's transfer system. Plus, my special guest this week is a German centurion and FIFA Women's World Cup winner. From me, Reshmin Chowdhury. We are the little sister of the FIFA Living Football TV show, and we'll be taking you behind the scenes at FIFA, sharing extraordinary stories, journeys, and interviews. My special guest today is one of the most successful German footballers of all time. She played for her country 111 times during a 14-year international career. She won the 2003 FIFA Women's World Cup and three consecutive UEFA European Women's Championships. She went on to manage Germany 21 times, and she's been a brilliant ambassador for the women's game. A very warm welcome to the former defender, Steffi Jones. Steffi, so wonderful to have you with us. You're in uh, Germany at the moment, aren't you? What are you up to these days? <laughs> Hi. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm home office working. We have the luck that we're a um, software company, so we do IT, and um, that's easy from, from home. And so I'm right now in the office, but usually I can work at home. And um, we're struggling like everybody else with COVID-19. It's, uh, it's really bad. But um, yeah, we're keeping up and we're doing our, our best. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And, um, you know, as you say, it has been difficult for everyone. But my question is, how do you go from football to software engineering? <laughs> yeah, that's like it usually is when you end your soccer career. And I had a few functions, like you said, um, organizing the World Cup, um, being responsible for women's and girls football in the German Federation, and then being the head coach of the German national team. These were all great experiences. And um, after that, um, yeah, I just looked up for a new challenge and a new new work. And um, now I'm... I'm helping to build up new structures in this company. I'm, I'm developing this company as good as I can. Well, I'm sure you are because you <laughs> seem to excel at everything you do. Look, you started playing football, going back to your former life and your former career. You actually started playing at the age of four. I mean, that's so young. I mean, I think of my own kids at that age. They didn't know what they would want to do in the future. Did you always know <laughs> you wanted to play football, even at that young age? Well, you know, my my first contact was um, my older brother played with his friends and put me up as a goalpost on the field. <laughs> so um, I was standing there watching them playing, and when the ball came towards me, I I reacted and I kicked it back, and um, and that uh, was so good that the boy said, "Why didn't you play with us?" And so I started playing football, and I have to say, I was discriminated in kindergarten because of my color and um, when I started playing soccer there was no one judging me and and it was so easy and it was like so respectful and I 
found that soccer was the right sport for me. I was very talented. I played in a boys team. I started in a boys team and I could compare and that was good. I mean, that's just like, like more self-confidence and you feel like, oh, wow. So I'm not so bad. And so I felt much more passion for the sport and I got motivated and I didn't dream at that time from a women's national team, but I had more than just winning and losing. There were values, there were more important things that that helped me um, dealing with discrimination. And that's that's good. Yeah, and it's such an important story to tell because I think sometimes it does get overlooked, the story of women of colour. You're a woman of colour in what you do. I'm a woman of colour in what I do. And I think, you know, there are other layers. There are barriers that people who aren't of the same colour or similar background won't understand. And I'm really glad that you've highlighted that as well. And I love that sport, it's a cliche, but it's really true. It's a leveller, isn't it? It yes, just, yes. It, it takes away any other barrier and you are only judged, as you say, for, for how good you are. And luckily you were able to discover that. Yes, and that's what I tell everyone. I mean, I've I've been to schools and I still do. And I talk to other people and it's not, not the colour, it's many things being tall being small wearing glasses being big and there are so many uh, ways you you can hurt people by by words and so I I always felt like um, making everyone big around me and showing them that this sport is the most valued sport I would ever um, see and 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 I was really happy and I'm always sharing this with everyone who who wants to hear it and who listens to me <laughs> <laughs> listen I could listen to you all day look I oh. a, it, honestly it's such a powerful story and like I said being a woman of color myself it's so important it's often overlooked when in a certain circles so I do I completely empathize with that and I really respect putting that forward so there you were uh, you worked through so many barriers to then win the FIFA Women's World Cup with Germany in 2003 I mean if someone had told four-year-old you that in 2003 you'd win a world cup with your country I mean that must just blow your mind yeah when I got selected for the first game getting really a national team players I mean I had so many role models I had at that time there was Mia Hamm there was Judy Foudy there were Sylvia Knight um, so many role models that I watched on television and then I got my first game and I had goosebumps and the anthem came and, and I was feeling so proud and it's it's not something that I dreamed of when when I was four but when I saw that um, I was hoping that I could make it also and then then you're in a World Cup and you see the stadium is full you got so many fans and they're all there for you and to watch those two teams play and it's yeah it's a moment where you just you're you're stunned and you stand there and you watch that and then it's most important that the first ball goes good that it's a good touch that you have so you know that the game is going to be good so yeah you're you're right that was the greatest moment and um, I had the bad luck that I was injured so I didn't make it all the way to the final um but I watched on tv and supported the team from from home and um happily I'm I'm also a world cup winner so um that was a great moment yes 
wonderful <laughs> moment. And then you also won three consecutive UEFA European Women's Championships as well. So it, it didn't just, you know, it wasn't just world domination, it was European domination as well. I mean, when you look back at the German side that you were in, I the, the, the trophies speak for themselves. Is it one of the, I mean, obviously we've seen the USA and other sides have these sort of spells of, of domination, but would you say that's one of the best women's sides you've ever seen in women's football? I would say yes. I mean, we had a, a generation um, where we were together as a team for about 10 to 12 years, and it was always younger players stepping up one or two or, or three. And so we, we kept on big success. And what also happened is all the other countries stepped up also and did more for their talents and um, and it's really tight in Europe and it's getting really tight in in the world also. So um, that was the milestone we we set at at that time. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. And in, in your you know in your career, you've played in Germany mainly for Frankfurt, which I know is you know the club of your heart, but uh, you played <laughs> in America as well. You played for Washington Freedom, sort of in the late part of your career. I suppose when you like I say, you went there at a different stage in your life as well. How did you find sort of the American approach to women's football? They were so professional and I just felt like so good. I mean, I've been always working full time and uh, now I've, I was able to be only soccer. And that was something that I took, took back home. And I told everyone how the U.S. League manages a full stadium's not being attached to the men, having your own sponsors, having your own stadiums in a size where they're really full and not a big men's stadium where you can't fill it up. And so the structures, the management, we were supposed to uh, train uh, girls teams. We were supposed to do interviews, all of us. There was not one big star. The team was the star and that that's me. That's how I feel. It's a give and take. And the fans come and walk or drive long distance to, to see our games. And then it's not a big deal making a photo or um, saying thank you to the fans. So, so that's how I always felt. And the U.S. League was really the great example how it should be. And, and I loved playing two years in a professional league and and they were only national team players almost. And that was crazy. I mean, German players, US players, we had Marta, we had um, Japan players. I mean, they came from everywhere and that was a league that was really a great competition and you never knew who was going to win the next season. So, so that was a time where I was totally fit to the end of my career and it felt really great seeing that women's football can also be professional and it was great. Yeah, what a really great way to, to finish your career in that environment as well. I'm going to get much more from you, Steffi, throughout the show, but it's interesting because you did mention fans in the US and uh, 
I don't know if uh, any of you have ever heard of Marivaldo Francisco da Silva. Now, you probably haven't, but this Brazilian football fan story has touched millions of hearts around the world. Now, the 48-year-old didn't have the money for his bus fare, so he began walking 60 kilometers to watch Sport Recife games in northeast Brazil. It took him, get this, 11 hours every single time. But he never missed a home match. And for these incredible efforts, he's been honoured with the best FIFA fan award. Um, Steffi, you know, you mentioned there the fans. This is 11 hours to watch your team. That's a level of dedication that is unparalleled, surely. I was emotionally touched when I heard that. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. And, and it shows that um, fans are, are really so loyal and they really do everything for you and, and for the team. So I was really touched. And, and I think it's, it's great that he won this um, trophy. And um, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, it really is. And what's interesting is that it was actually myself and uh, the Dutch legend Ruud Hullet who announced the award to <laughs> yes. Marivaldo at the, the Best FIFA Football Awards. But um, because of travel restrictions due to the pandemic, he couldn't travel to Switzerland to collect his trophy. He didn't fancy walking that far. But um, <laughs> what was funny was that when um, I think it was Ruud who announced it was Marivaldo, but I think we couldn't hear him. There was something wrong with his sound. And all you could see was his reaction to winning and it was one of those I think Rude and I said afterwards we said you know what sometimes you don't even need sound you don't need words you just look at his face and it tells the entire story and um what was really nice is that FIFA actually sent a very special ambassador to because he couldn't come to us so uh, we sent an ambassador to uh, hand over the best FIFA fan award and it was in fact the Brazil legend and uh, yeah, you can actually watch Marivaldo receive his award. Just go to FIFA.com or the FIFA YouTube channel. You know, it is such a beautiful story, Steph. Have you had any um, interesting fan experiences during your playing career? Well, when I um, ended my career, um, my club team fans held all of them a sign saying, thank you, Steffi. And um, that was very impressive. And I was overwhelmed um, since... I didn't expect that. I mean, I was always a great with with fans, and but but that's when when the whole stadium holds up a sign saying "Thank you, Steffi." I was really, yeah, touched. Also, that was a nice moment. Okay, so moving on. Now, last week, for the second time in a row, the FIFA Congress held their annual meeting virtually via video between the 211 FIFA member associations. The FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, has been talking about how FIFA has been helping football through the global pandemic. Football is hope. Football is joy. And a little bit of football brings also normality back. And I've been very happy that FIFA has been able to help you a little bit. For example, with the COVID relief plan, 1.5 billion US dollars. This is unique in the world of sport. Our competitions are your competitions because you are FIFA. And in whatever we do, we always have to think about the fans. We always have to think about the countries all the countries in the world and we always have to think about the players we want to make football truly global and we want to do that together 
because we need you, the 211 FIFA member associations. We need you all to speak up. We need you all to tell us what you think, to tell us what you want, to tell us how we can make football globally better. that was the FIFA president Gianni Infantino there. Now, as well as talking about the COVID relief plan, the FIFA Congress also approved a number of proposals submitted by member associations, including a consultation process to explore opportunities for women's global competitions, including a women's world league, a feasibility study to explore the possible impact of holding the FIFA World Cup and FIFA Women's World Cup every two years instead of four, and the FIFA administration to make a proposal for the future of FIFA's youth competitions. Now, FIFA also published their first ever analysis of the elite women's football landscape. This aims to help guide key decisions shaping the development of women's football for now. So, Steffi, I'm so glad you're with us to discuss this because the professionalization of women's football is such a key area and commitment for FIFA. How important is it? for you to ensure that women's football clubs and leagues continue to keep moving in this direction off the pitch as well as on it. That's very important. And I'm truly happy when I heard that and I watched the FIFA Congress very interested because I've been myself, like you said, uh, we hosted the World Cup and and it always felt, felt like we have to exchange more expertise with each other, all the countries, we need to support each other more to um, make women's and, and girls' football stronger, to make stakeholders um, open-minded and so they see what's possible and what's what we need. And now we have kind of a compass, like a, a landscape where where we can focus on on the um, nations where we have to do more maybe. And um, that's great. I mean, I don't even know if if we ever had this kind of a landscape, but, but this, is, this is the right step. So we can really focus on, on the more important things to, to get on the next level and to make it global, tighter and tighter. What kind of ideas would you like to see then in the leagues and the clubs to grow and, you know, and continue in this direction over the years then off the pitch? What do you think is important? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I can just take us as an example, like like our league started it um, not so strong in the way of a competition from the teams. I mean, we had 12 teams and there were only two or, or three teams having all the national team players and that's not good so we kept on looking where we can build up structures from from the base to have a strong fundament to to um, select more girls that are talented to scout better to to make our league more interesting for international players and that the federation can can do with the clubs and it needs players that are role models off the field go out and show themselves show what 
women's football is able to and to um, make sponsors happy so they they know it's not only giving something you you get some back and um, that's league wise and it took us maybe 10 years I would say with the European Championship 2013 we we started ex exchanging more with other federations and they started building up more structures and their youth teams and so it's like most important that you have an exchange and you help other ones who who need best practice yeah and exchanging ideas know? yeah yeah that's the way i would do it i mean it's hard to say because i don't know how the structures are always in other countries but i could see that many many countries have been developing so good and in a short period i mean it took us like 20 years and i feel like the other ones are able to make these steps in in four to five years and that's because of what is fifa doing what is the uefa doing and that's just great i mean that helps many many teams and and it helps uh women's and girls football to to uh, grow and that's just great yeah, it is. And that, that's the aim. And that's the real commitment at FIFA as well. And within this report, then at the Congress, there are several sort of key findings. And what they include are topics sort of related to marketing, broadcasting, fan engagement, I guess. Yeah, my question to you is sort of how excited are you to see those areas develop in the lead up to the next FIFA Women's World Cup, which is, of course, in 2023? That's very important. I mean, like, like I said, we were always attached to the men's team. So when, uh, when, when our federation was dealing with sponsoring, they were always saying, if you want to have the men, you have to show the women too. When we played our League Cup final, we played right before the men's final. And the fans didn't come for the women, they came for the men's game. So you always felt like attached to the men. And now we're, we're having our own sponsors. And we are having our own streaming on TV. And it's like, we're, how do you say in English? I have to look. Independent. We're independent now. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, and it's so nice. I mean, we were so successful. And it's so nice when you feel like now you have to respect and now you, you stand for your game and you, you can sell your game and your sport and that's so important it very much is and uh, yeah, i think we're all looking forward to that next world cup now well the fifa council now they've also approved another package of reforms and this time it's to the transfer system but what exactly is this transfer reform about and how can full transparency be created around the football transfer market? Well, the Living Football host, Jessica Libet, sat down with FIFA's chief legal and compliance officer, Emilio Garcia Silvero, to discuss these questions. Well, first of all, I would like to say that uh, over the last three or four years, we have been working hard in setting up a proper transfer system in football more transparent, more professional, and this is the third and last step in this process. So, you know, we are reaching the objective. So, again, over these three or four years, we have implemented several measures, and now we are tackling three or four specific objects or topics. First of all, we would like to reconfigure a little bit uh, the rules uh, around minors. 
then uh, we would like to discuss about squad sizes, uh, loans on, on, of players. Why is that? Uh, uh, you know, we can see a lot of clubs uh, in which the, the players are on loan many times, players that, you know, they sang with a club and they never play uh, in this club because they are on loan uh, season after season. So we need to reconfigure this, we need to think about this, and that's why in consultation and in cooperation with the football stakeholders, we are also tackling loans, also transfer windows, and finally financial regulations. So these are the four topics, main topics of this third reform uh, package. One important aspect of the whole reform is the so-called clearing house. FIFA president Gianni Infantino said we need to protect the whole ecosystem and in his recent Congress speech he showed some very interesting numbers. The last pre-COVID year 2019, the global transfer spend for international transfers was around 7 billion US dollars, moving from one country to the other. The agent fees, players' agent fees, were around 700 million US dollars. And the money which went to training clubs was around 70 million US dollars. I think these figures are quite telling. And I think that we cannot be satisfied with them. And because FIFA is not satisfied, there is the clearing house. So can you explain us what does it do and when will it start? What exactly is the work of the clearing house? Well, the main role of the clearing house is to distribute the so-called FIFA training rewards, the solidarity mechanism mm -hmm. and the training compensation all around the world. So, you know, these two systems uh, were uh, adopted uh, by FIFA in 2001. But since then, we have seen that many clubs are not really getting this money from the clubs. We saw it just, you know. it's only 70 and million. And there is an unbalanced mm -hmm. situation between the total transfer fee, agents fee, training rewards, and some other figures. So the main goal of the clearing house will be, again, to distribute this money. So a small club in Brazil, or a small club in Vietnam, or Argentina, or Canada, will get the money from FIFA. So the new club, is obliged to put the money on the FIFA clearing house and FIFA and not the new club will be entitled and obliged to distribute the money to the training clubs. For us it's a highly relevant project obviously because the idea is that right now you know there is a big gap between this, the training rewards, the solidarity mechanism and the training compensation that the clubs receive mm -hmm. and the, the money that they should receive. The gap is around 200 million dollars. 200, 250. So, you know, we would like to put this money back in football and that's why, you know, we are setting up uh, and we are uh, working on, on this uh, particular project. So does the clearinghouse work like, like a bank? Don't like to say that, you yeah. know, work like a bank, but, you know, if you're not a, a, a man coming from the system, uh, I think that this is uh, the, the way in which the supporters will see this. But definitely it's not a bank. Uh, it's a clearing house in which, you know, you know the, the, the new clubs, those who have to pay solidarity training, put the money, and then, you know, this institution will find the training club and pay on behalf of the new club. So. Can you give us a concrete example? Can you explain um, okay. how a transfer process would look like with the clearing house? Yes, it is easy. So imagine a transfer between, uh, let's put uh, an Spanish club, 
uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona or Atletico de my home club, Deportivo de la Coruña. So imagine <laughs> that uh, Manchester City or Manchester United, uh, both one of them, they are interested in a, a player playing in Deportivo de la Coruña and both clubs fix the transfers for $100 million. So, you know, the new club should pay 5% uh, of solidarity contribution. So 5% of the $100 million should be distributed between the clubs who train the player in a certain age. So, you know, means 5% means $5 million. So, you know, if the cleaning house is in place, the new club, in this case, imagine Manchester United, Manchester City, whatever you prefer, should put $5 million on the FIFA cleaning house and the FIFA Clearing House will trace and find all clubs who train the player during a certain period and distribute the money. So will not be the new club paying the old clubs, will be this FIFA institution, the FIFA Clearing House, you know, finding the clubs and making the payments. Emiri, we saw the increasing agent fees, 700 million US dollars in 2019. Why is FIFA now regulating agents if it did exactly the opposite in 2015? Well, I think that FIFA's decision made in 2015 was a mistake. And that's the first thing that we should clarify. So it was a mistake. And now we are trying to move forward and we are trying to introduce the licensing system again into the agents environment. Agents are uh, essential and are a very important part in the football transfer mm -hmm. market. And this is a project for agents. So this is a project- Not against know, them. Definitely. So, you know, this is a, a, a project for the agents. That's why we are in contact with different agents associations all around the world from South America, North America, Europe, Asia, and Africa, and we are talking with them. We are also talking with clubs, with leagues, with member associations, with the confederations. And the main idea here is to rise the professional standards. We would like to make the system better by including the agents into the system. So, you know, giving them a license, also uh, setting up a kind of education system for them and also, for instance, creating the, the, the football tribunal, the agent chamber, so a dispute resolution, a free dispute resolution system by means of which agents, clubs, players, leagues, they can come to FIFA and solve their problems for free, something that right now is completely impossible. So, you know, if you are a player agent from Germany and you are doing business, imagine, in Costa Rica and you have a problem there, so, you know, either you go to the ordinary coast in Costa Rica or in Germany. So it takes time. Uh, you have to invest a lot of money with this new dispute resolution system, the so-called Asia Chamber. We are going to create a better system for agents and for the stakeholders as well. Living Football TV show host Jessica Libitz there speaking to Emilio Garcia Silvero about reforms to the transfer system. Still to come, we'll be hearing from one of futsal's finest and heading to the South Pacific. I'm Julio Caesar, and you are listening to FIFA's Living Football Podcast. I'm Rashmin Chowdhury, and alongside me is the former Germany defender and manager Steffi Jones. 
We are now going to talk about the FIFA Futsal World Cup, which takes place in September in Lithuania, the first FIFA tournament ever to be hosted in the country. And ahead of the draw for the event in Lithuania, we caught up with a legend of futsal, Spain's Enrique Bonedillo, a.k.a. Kike. Kike, Orol. Oh, great work there. And a great goal, too, for Kike, who's only been on a matter of seconds. Fine goal by Spain. Orol just working the ball through to Kike, who here has opened his account for the championships. Meant so much to him. And what a finish, too, from Kike, just rolling the ball away from the goalkeeper, Papesh. Well, Kike played 180 times for his country and played in four FIFA Futsal World Cup finals as well. He won two of them. And Living Football's Jessica Libet asked him how he would sum up his hugely successful career. Casi pienso que es otra vida. I almost think of it as another life. They were 20 wonderful years of my sporting career, 15 of them with the Spanish national team. I played at four World Cups, Guatemala, China, Brazil and Thailand. I can only feel tremendously grateful and tremendously privileged for everything that I went through, for all the experiences and all the memories which are absolutely unforgettable. I was very lucky to have been part of the world of futsal and to be able to play at four FIFA World Cups. But there was a special moment at the 2000 FIFA Futsal World Cup when Spain secured the first title and showed, above all, that Brazil could be beaten. Yes, that was absolutely unforgettable for everybody involved in that moment in Guatemala in El Domo on the 3rd of December 2000. We'll never forget that. Nobody thought that another team could beat Brazil as they had been absolutely dominant in futsal up until that moment. Luckily, Spain, by working hard, having faith and having confidence, we were able to win that world title, which radically changed the story of the sport and also of futsal in Spain. For us, that experience was absolutely unforgettable. I was only 22. I was the youngest in the national team and I was lucky enough to play at three more World Cups. We even won the title again in China in 2004, but nothing comes close to doing it for the first time. Absolutely, and you repeated the feat, as you said, in 2004. What did that mean then for futsal in Spain? It was a turning point. It changed what futsal had meant in Spain up until that moment into what it's meant from that moment on. We came into people's lives who became part of our country's sporting scene and people started to notice us. They started to think that futsal was important, which might not have been the case up until then. For us, both locally and globally, those four years between 2000 and 2004 with those two world titles for Spain changed the situation for futsal in the world and from then on Spain grew a lot. You will be assisting at the draw for the FIFA Futsal World Cup in Lithuania next week here in Zurich. What role does it play for the sport that the FIFA Futsal World Cup will be hosted in Europe for the third time? The impact of a FIFA World Cup is absolutely huge. It's the most important futsal competition at world level, so for Europe to host it again is very important. There's an enormous impact at local level in the country where the competition takes place, but also at a continental level in terms of what it means for all European countries to host a World Cup again. I never got the chance to take part in a World Cup in Europe as I went to Asia and South America. I think it's very important for Spain and for Europe that the competition is returning to our continent. And I hope that people in Lithuania and the whole of Europe can enjoy the competition.
de toda Europa puedan, puedan disfrutar mucho del, del torneo. Kike, please give us an outlook which teams and players to watch in Lithuania. It's difficult to give names. I think that at any tournament you always have to respect the title holders, who are Argentina in this case. In my opinion, other teams would be completely mistaken if they think that Argentina's win at the 2016 FIFA World Cup in Colombia was a stroke of luck. No, it wasn't. Argentina won it because they worked harder than the other teams and because they deserved it. So for me, the first team to take into account is Argentina and from there, obviously, Brazil and some European teams, including Spain. Of course, we also have to think about some of the Asian teams like Iran, who always play at a very high level. I think that we're heading into an incredible tournament on every level and that we're going to be part of a very high playing standard. Kika, last question. Might seem a little bit odd, but what are the chances for the Solomon Islands? They have the chance to enjoy a World Cup. Look, I remember the first time that I played against the Solomon Islands. It was 12 or 14 years ago, and I remember their respect for the game, for us as one of the leading national teams at the time. I remember how they sang and how they danced after the match, and that means that they enjoy what they do. So I think that whether you win or lose at a tournament doesn't depend so much on the final result. It's not about whether you win or lose, it's about the mark that you leave on the tournament. So I think that the Solomon Islands, as well as many other teams, will leave a big mark on this tournament, and I'm sure that both FIFA and Futsal will leave a mark on those countries too. Jessica Libbert's talking to Futsal great Kike there. Um, I'm still with Steffi Jones. Steffi, um, Futsal and football... They are very different sports, aren't they? As a player, for sure, you need pretty much good technical skills to play futsal. And um, you should start with futsal, like your son said. <laughs> no, we talked about this before, didn't we? Yes, you should start with, with futsal and then um, go to football. Um, yeah, but but it's it's a nice sport to, to watch. It's... It's really quick, fast, and there's a lot of skill seeing, and that's um, that's fun to watch, and that's really high quality. Um, but for me, I was not good enough. <laughs> it's all right. You've won a FIFA World Cup. You don't. <laughs> You've been there and done that. Now you might be wondering why Kike was talking about the Solomon Islands. Now that's where we are headed next. A group of nearly a thousand islands north of Australia, the Solomon Islands, has represented Oceania in all four FIFA Futsal World Cups since Australia joined the AFC in 2006. So they are hoping to impress at the FIFA Futsal World Cup in Lithuania. But their build-up has been anything but straightforward, as Chris Parrott explains. The Kuru Kuru may only have collected one win in their 12 matches on the world stage so far, but they are without doubt the Futsal Kings of Oceania. Micah Lia Alafala is the team's vice-captain. If you ask him anyone, Los Solomon, but... Uh... If you ask anyone from the Solomon Islands, they will tell you that futsal is a big game here. As you know, this will be our fourth time participating at the FIFA Futsal World Cup. Futsal is a fast-growing sport and is played everywhere in the Solomon Islands. Its national team is preparing for the FIFA Futsal World Cup in Lithuania later this year. However, the CEO of the Solomon Islands Football Federation... Leonardo Pyre 
amidst a global pandemic has made preparations much more difficult. COVID-19 has really affected uh, football in Solomon Islands. We only have one venue that we can run this national league. And early this year, that, that venue has been turned into COVID-19 clinic. So we don't have any other venue to run this national league. We had to look for another venue for training. Unfortunately, in Solomon Islands, we don't have access to facilities that other countries used to train their national teams for the World Cup. We ended up in securing a venue which is used for basketball, and we have used that basketball court as our, our venue for training our national futsal World Cup team. The Football Federation used funding from the FIFA COVID-19 relief plan to cover the coaches' salaries and travel to training camps. Assistant coach Francis Lafay believes it's made a huge difference. COVID-19 has affected us and it's caused unemployment to some of us. The COVID-19 relief plan has supported us financially in terms of allowances and without that support we would not have been able to do our training sessions. The support from FIFA through the COVID-19 relief plan will help us to prepare for the Futsal World Cup. FIFA Forward has been supporting us in those areas and we really appreciate the support that FIFA has given us to carry out our activities and enabling us to fulfill our commitments with our football development in the country. This year's FIFA Futsal World Cup is expected to be one of the best tournaments yet, as Argentina attempt to defend their title. But perhaps the Solomon Islands can turn some heads by causing an upset or two along the way. So this project is just one of many. And in our forthcoming episodes, we'll continue to showcase some of the projects that FIFA are developing, supporting and funding around the world. Steffi, you watched that with me. Um, they clearly love their futsal in the Solomon Islands, don't they? Yes, and they're going through a lot of effort to make it happen. And I'm really happy that they get supported and that they get the opportunity. And um, that's, that's great. Yeah, and particularly, Steffi, during a global pandemic, you know, it's been a difficult time for everybody in their personal lives, in their professional lives. But, you know, for a sport and in, in a place like Solomon Islands, how important is it that for FIFA to help countries like this to keep up their sport so it doesn't die, so it doesn't fade? That that's something that, um, that we should all support. I mean, it's, it's like if one country or an island is struggling and is not able to go to a World Cup, then we should do everything to help and to make it possible. And that's why I, I was really loving to hear that the FIFA president said that it's our job to help globally. And it's not the big countries, it's them who, who really need help. And um, I know how it feels like just being able to take place at a World Cup. And it's, it's so special and it helps those players that they can be part of it it gives so much more than just being part of this world cup and most of them don't realize what it means for for such a team getting the opportunity it's it's so big and it has so much more impact on on many other things so i'm really glad and i'm really happy 
Yeah, it is all about giving that equal opportunity, isn't it? It's lovely to to see that story. Right, we've got a few more moments with you, Steffi, before we go, okay. which means <laughs> we have time to ask you a few more questions about your incredible career, both as no. a player <laughs> and a manager. So my first one to you would be, if you could pick one career highlight to relive, I'm guessing it's going to be winning the FIFA World Cup or playing the FIFA World Cup, right? <laughs> <laughs> not really <laughs> oh, oh interesting you know i'm a i'm a person that likes to to build things to make people stronger to i i thought it's called empower people and i would love to host another world cup i mean that was such a great story and um that was a milestone and i'm a fighter and i said i have so much passion and i will make everyone that um, they will see that every nation that is participating at this World Cup is worth it to be not judged and um, is worth it watching and they can all play great soccer and we went into schools I had 1500 events in in three years and I was an ambassador for women's football but also for not judging over people or or a sport or sexuality it is it's the sport that's that's loved by 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 many many people and if you ask me i would do that again and i would uh, i would set another milestone i mean it's all about football globally and it's not me but it's on me making it more popular and um making it easier for the next generation for all the girls that that want to play soccer and they can't so that's my role that's my function and if you ask me I would love to do that again and did that actually give you more pride than playing for your country or taking charge of your country or does that top all of them that's a question my wife asked me yesterday <laughs> and and I said um it's different just when yesterday you... yes that we're having this conversation yeah, that's, today yes <laughs> Um, well, she wanted it to help me so I could speak fluent ah, right. English, and yeah, so we yeah. spoke English yesterday. Okay, and then so she, she was helping you prepare for our podcast. Yes, and she was yeah. kind of you asking me questions. So um, <laughs> I have to say, the national team was a dream coming true, and that was something I I was really working hard for. And um, organizing the World Cup was also a great honor and a really I was proud but that was nothing I was really aiming for so I would say playing for the national team is is my biggest dream coming true and um, helping to make a great event is is a function that was really honorable and I'm really proud of yes when you expressed yourself on the pitch who was your <laughs> toughest competitor to play against Oh, there were so many. I mean, you know, we have so many good strikers and I always wanted it the toughest one, um, like Abby Wambach. I mean, she was as tall as I was and she was a big girl and she, yeah. to Real compete present, against right? her, yeah, she was really present and she, she had good technical skills. She was physically really good and I just always felt really proud when they didn't score on me, you know, and 
when of I course, really... as a defender, that's what. Yeah, you... yeah, yeah. But but there were really many, many, um, and I always wanted it in training. I always wanted it the best one, so I could um, have this challenge, and so I could be a leader on the field for my team. And finally, um, you've been playing football since you were a toddler, as we heard. <laughs> You know what? It's it's such a simple question, but I'd love to hear your answer. What does football mean to you? Football means to me values, personality, social competence, connecting, diversity, I would say. That's such a great answer. And just, you know, I guess when you've lived through it in the way that you have from your youth to sort of to your adult life as well as because lots of people are when they hang up their boots they they don't always continue and you did in management as well I guess you've seen a full circle is that how it feels now that you've been through your life cycle of football do you sometimes miss your day-to-day involvement in the game no but I would love to do more I mean it's just like um I'm I'm 48 years old and I tried to play with our amateur team where I coached with the women's and I just can't anymore. I, it's, I, I'm slower and I, you know, it's all too fast. And I feel like, okay, Steffi, your, your time, you had a great time. So um, now it's over, but I would love to do more in supporting to make the sport grow. And it's not easy if you're not in a federation, you know, you you can't be in a congress or a committee or all these kind of things. And and that's something that I miss because when you have strong women that want to help and want to, you know, go forward, then um, it's, it's not so easy. So I just stick with Germany and I go on television and I tell tell what is needed um but it would be easier if if we we could have a team um international of the older players to uh help to be more than just ambassadors that would be something i would love to to do you know what steffi you are you're a fifa legend but you're an absolute legend of the game and it was so wonderful to speak to you this week thank you so much for joining us i hope you enjoyed it as much as we have thank you very much (laughs) that's about all for this week please subscribe to us via your favorite podcast provider and make sure you join us next time as we continue to take you behind the scenes at fifa remember also to head to fifa.com to watch the living football tv show and there's also a brilliant Iker Casillas interview after the Spanish goalkeeping legend turned 40. Until next time, though, from myself and Steffi, it is goodbye.